is the Meeting of Minds podcast with me, Philippa Robinson. Hello and welcome back to the Meeting of Minds podcast. I'm recording this episode just after the uh, previous episode that I've recorded um, on vulnerability because um, actually next week, so I'm recording this on the 24th of May, and next week um, here for us in the UK and in Bristol is the school holidays, uh, half term or end of term five, whatever we call it now. And we are actually taking a trip next week. We are going to Yorkshire. I love Yorkshire. We go there every year to the uh, Yorkshire Dales. And yeah, it's quite exciting that we're getting away. I can't wait for a change of scenery. Can't wait to see um, the dales and uh, how green everything is now and just get away from our home and the same places that we've been for months. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, The only hesitancy on my part is that we often don't have brilliant weather. Um, we went very briefly in October when we were still allowed to last year and we came home after a few days because it rained so much. So, um, but actually the weather has been so awful here and it's actually at the moment, fingers crossed, looking up for next week. So I am hoping by the time this episode airs next week, um, and of course you might listen to it at the time it comes out or any other time but I am hoping that we will have had some nice weather and by nice I mean that it's just not pouring down and that the change of scenery has done us all good and I hope um, you the lovely listeners listening to this are actually getting it out and about a little bit more and feeling safe so you're going out as much as you feel safe to and um, that you know we're all broadening our everyday life a little bit. I don't want to go back to the way it was before when I was just super busy the entire time, but just a little bit would be nice. And anyway, I'm recording this just a couple of hours after I've recorded the episode on vulnerability. And this was the episode that I was meaning to record, but ended up going off on a bit of a tangent and talking about vulnerability. So. What I wanted to talk about was following on from my episode on um, finding out I was an HSP, a highly sensitive person. That came after a period of three or four years of taking off my mask um, and learning to be vulnerable and learning the power in vulnerability and sort of showing my true self to my friends and family and the world in general a bit more a bit more but before the HSP before the vulnerability came a time of realization for me Um, and this goes back to something I talked about um, right in the first episode of series two where I talked about being the child of an alcoholic. And 
this has been quite a journey for me in the last four, four and a half years. And um, I grew up with uh, an alcoholic mother. And she was always a drinker, but she steadily drank more and more throughout my childhood and my teenage years and then my adult years. She sadly passed away three years ago now. And if I am brutally honest, her passing away has helped my healing. And I am not sure I would be at the stage I am at now in my healing if she was still here. Um, I'm having quite an emotional reaction to, to saying that because it does seem uh, disloyal in a way to talk about me being in a better place following her death and you know I didn't cause her to die um she managed to get to 70 um which was amazing given her lifestyle and also how how much she declined but actually her decline was quite rapid at the end and she wasn't left in a bad physical way for a long time um so I think perhaps in that respect she was quite lucky and it it does feel disloyal to say that her passing away helped my healing um but it, it, that's quite interesting because, you know, the feelings of disloyalty or being disloyal to your family, talking about, um, in my case, the alcoholism that was going on in my family, the feeling that you couldn't talk about it, that to talk about it was disloyal, is what allowed the behavior to continue unchecked in many ways and also prevents the other family members who are suffering as a result of that behavior from seeking any help at all or even just talking about it to friends and family um and it, it's really interesting that I started off by saying it feels disloyal to talk about my healing following her death because it, it's like that secrecy or that shroud of secrecy and protection almost, protecting the, either protecting the secret or protecting the alcoholic or whatever it is. I'm not quite sure what that is, but that that continues long past um them being here anymore and oh um yeah it, it it I always 
did I? I was going to say, I always knew that my childhood wasn't normal. Although, I'm not, is that true? I think I probably hoped it wasn't normal. I think I hoped that other people were growing up in a different way to me. And I hoped that not all children were growing up in a family that had the issues that mine had. Now, I know that other families have other issues going on. I know that. But as a child, I could only think about my circumstance. And it was my normal. I knew nothing different. So it was my normal. But I think there was always a little bit of me that thought other people weren't, other children weren't experiencing the same as me. Um, and I think probably that belief that other children weren't growing up in similar circumstances to me could well have been the thing that gave me the resilience, perhaps, is that the word? Resilience to, to get through it, to survive it, and to then move on and make my own way in life. I, I think I always thought there must be a different life for me. Um, it's funny doing these podcasts. I, I, I always, I have notes. I, I, I usually have notes and then I come on and start speaking and other things just come out. And, um, I'm a great believer in just sort of going with the flow, but yeah, I'm not, I've not really thought about that before because people have said to me, how did I carry on? How did I keep going? How did I build resilience and the honest truth is I have absolutely no idea um survival instinct kicks in and you just do whatever you need to to get through it so that's how I carried on where the resilience came from I am not 100% sure but I think it might have been as I've just said from the belief that there must be something different. Um, and I left home at 18 to go off to university and I went home at Christmas and Easter in the first year. I didn't go home in the summer. I went elsewhere. Oh no, I didn't. I went home in the summer of the first year. And then I don't think I ever went back again after that. Um, I, I saw my family, obviously, but I never actually went back and lived or stayed at home for anything other than a visit. Um, and I was busy getting on with my life. And I always used to think I was quite an open book and I would tell people 
about my life, my childhood, and some of the things that went on. But I would talk about it as though um, I would talk about it quite quickly, gloss over it, certainly not feel any of the feelings as I was talking about it. And I would always end with something along the lines of, yeah, it was pretty crap, but I did okay. And I'm here. And I always used to think that I'd sort of dealt with it, that I knew my childhood had been tough for me, but it hadn't really affected me as an adult. And I think I genuinely thought that, or it was part of the uh, keeping everything behind the mask uh, and not letting on. But I genuinely think I thought it hadn't affected me. And it was only in December of 2016 that I was introduced to a book on codependency and I read the book and with like my mouth sort of like hanging open going oh my gosh this is my childhood this is this could have been written about me and Actually, it was only then that I realized how much my experiences from my childhood were still affecting me as an adult. And at that time, I was 47 years old. Um, It was quite an eye opener. It really, it really was. Oh, so, um, so really how, how had it, how was it affecting me? Um, I, you know, alcoholism is really not a joke and there are lots of, Um, jokes made about drinking culture and wine o'clock and gin o'clock. And, you you know, if anybody listening to this knows me, they will know that I am not teetotal. And I, you know, like a drink, like as much as the next person. But in the last few years, I have seriously um cut down on the amount of alcohol that I drink and partly that is partly it's because I'm getting a bit older trying to look after myself a bit better but also it is partly because of my increased awareness of how the drinking culture in the house I grew up um affected me and it affects Certainly when she, when you have an alcoholic in the house, it affects everyone. And in fact, the alcoholic 
is affecting their own body with the alcohol. But a lot of the time they are in an alcoholic haze to some varying degree or other. And it's actually the other family members who are experiencing the effects of that alcoholic haze that are really living it day in, day out. And um, I tried very hard as a child to be the peacekeeper, to try and keep everything calm at home. I was the oldest child of four, the only girl. I've got three brothers. And I tried really, really hard to keep the home environment as calm as possible so that my mum would not feel the need to drink. And of course, every single day I failed miserably at that. And every single day I felt like a failure as though I hadn't worked hard enough to keep the peace or to keep it calm or as though I had done something wrong or not done something right that had kept my mum from drinking or certainly not from drinking until much later in the evening. And um, it, it, you know, every single day she chose nearly every single day and it got worse as, she, as the kids got older. So it wasn't like this when I was young, but it was still bad enough. You know, she chose alcohol over me, over the children. And I can't speak for the experience of my brothers because we've never really talked about it. But it hurt. It hurt that she chose the alcohol. Um, and it, it has certainly made me choose a different path. And I made sure that I didn't choose that path. Um, and I was lucky that I didn't choose alcohol, but I did have other things that helped me numb the pain but they weren't drugs and they weren't alcohol. And um, I chose food, perfectionism, being busy and being an achiever, which are every bit as destructive or can be, but are more socially acceptable. So my path has been easier from that point of view. Um, and you know, I talk, talking about life being easier, I talked at the beginning about how my healing has been aided by my mum no longer being here. And, you know, when you, you're, when you live with an alcoholic or when you have a family member that is an alcoholic who you are in touch with, their life is a roller coaster and yours is too. When they're up, you're up. When they're down, they drag you down there with them. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, do, I, I do miss her a bit. I don't, we weren't very close. We, in fact, we were estranged for a lot of the 
probably eight years before she passed away. Um, I was in touch with her a little bit more in the last few years, but not much. So it's not that her not being here has left a big gap in my life, but I do, I do miss what we never really had. We didn't have a good mother-daughter relationship and I do miss that and we will never have that. And I do miss that, but I know that's an idea of what I wanted it to be like rather than an idea of what it even might have been like if she wasn't an alcoholic. I don't know. It's very confusing and very mixed up. Um, and, you know, partly I don't really have much of an idea of what I think about it because I didn't really have any idea of what I thought about anything because when you grow up in a situation like I do my my needs were very much last on my list because I was busy trying to keep the peace um at home put them first because it wasn't really safe I didn't feel safe not to do that I didn't feel that I could do what I wanted or follow what I needed it just didn't feel safe. So I made myself and my world very small and it revolved around then. And I had no idea how to share that experience um, about what was happening with, with anyone else. And I had no idea how I felt about it, which, you know, is, is still the case today, you know, as I've just sort of been talking about how it's all very confusing and a bit of a, a whirl and a mess. And um, it certainly was then as a child. I mean, now, you, you know, my life is so much more than just having an alcoholic mother and who's not even alive anymore. But those memories are a really heavy burden sometimes and it's really it can be really tiring and there is a real need for anybody in this situation um you know going through it at the moment or being the adult child and sort of remembering it you know you need to rest and take time to not um dwell on those memories that are really heavy to bear sometimes um and I I did allow that dysfunction in my family to shape me and it shaped a lot of my life and it shaped my life really until I was able to reject it and heal from it and I did reject it um in the years that I was sort of estranged from my mum but she was always there in the back of my mind and there was certainly no healing going on at that time and I think really the re the healing only started after I became aware of codependency and my codependent relationship with my mother and that being the adult child of an alcoholic was a thing 
And as I said, that was only 2016. So my healing really only started then. Uh, so, and up until that time, I, I struggled a lot. I really struggled um, in relationships because when you grow up with your primary ca- caregiver not being available to you and living in chaos, I never knew when I came home from school what I was walking into. Never knew. And that chaos is... Um, really tough on your nervous system and, you know, it keeps you in flight, fight or freeze a lot of the time. And I chose to numb that initially with food. And I now know I developed binge eating disorder, but I didn't know that at the time because I don't think it was really a thing at the time, nor was being the child of an alcoholic a thing it wasn't recognized that children of alcoholics as well as partners of alcoholics suffer the consequences of the drinking um there is a lot of focus on getting the alcoholic themselves help but there seems to be very little awareness of the effect it has on the rest of the family um, or close people, it's almost, it seems to me that it, 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 it's almost like, well, if the drinking stops then the rest of the problems go away, but that is so not the case. It really isn't. Um, you know, I wasn't around my mum for uh, many, many years and it was still affecting me on a daily basis to such a great, to, to such an extent that even I, I just didn't know. Um, uh, yeah, so I struggled with um, relationships. Um, I think there were real trust issues. There still are really now. I'm still working on that. Um, it's very hard to learn to trust people when your primary caregiver has proved to be untrustworthy. Um, that's quite a tough thing to get over. I was very used to, from a very young age, taking care of others and never learned to take care of myself. I didn't learn to meet my own needs um, because, you know, I I learned that meeting their needs so my mum's needs was how was 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 my way to survive and it was also meeting her needs was a requirement for me to to get any love or that's how it seemed and um, and to be honest there wasn't a huge amount of love there but any any bit there might have been i think i thought came from looking out for her and making her life as easy as I could. Um, and that is how I showed up in relationships as an adult. And I lost myself in relationships completely. Um, um, yeah, which is not healthy. And um, God, it's such a steep learning curve to 
to even start to heal from that sort of thing. You know, if you abandon yourself as a child, which I did and which a lot of other people, a lot of other children in my situation would have done, you abandon your own wants and needs. Um, it continues into adulthood. And, um, you know, that's why if anyone is listening to that, to this, who is the child of an alcoholic and abandon themselves as a child, it, it may well still be continuing into adulthood today. And that might be why your needs don't get met today. Um, and, you know, this applies to children who would have grown up in different circumstances. So not necessarily with an alcoholic parent, but in other circumstances where their parents weren't available to them for other reasons and they abandon themselves in favor of the needs of the parent. Um, and learning to identify your own needs and take care of those needs is is a really tough job. It really is. Um, a lot of my learning has has been about that. A lot of my healing has been about that. Um, and you know, I I grew up really feeling that I was broken or weak, uh, and that the reason my I felt so out of place in my life was because of those things that I was broken or weak. And that also came from the desperate desire to please at home and to be the good girl and to keep the peace, but constantly failing to do those things, constantly failing to keep people happy, um, led me to believe that I was broken and weak. But in, in reality, you know, as an adult now, at long last, I have learned that there is nothing wrong with me. Um, and all I have been doing over the years was reacting, was, was I was reacting to the world, my world, the best I could, based on the experiences in my life. Uh, and partly, obviously, I took the experiences from my childhood and applied the same patterns of behavior as I grew older, which, you know, led to similar outcomes. I was also a magnet for relationships that I would, I would give up my needs in favor of the other person. Uh, yeah. You know, it, the pattern just kept repeating itself. And um, I have to say that is not where I am now, luckily. Uh, you know, um, yeah, that is not where I am now. And, um, you know, somebody I follow on Instagram um, who bravely tells his story a lot, um, his name is Josh Connolly, and he posted something he posted this that I'm just going to read out. Actually, it says it's easier to abandon yourself when all around you is chaos than it is to admit that your parents aren't capable of being there for you. Because to admit that your parents aren't capable of being there for you 
leaves you alone and there's nowhere to go. But abandoning yourself to their needs becomes the safe option and making it your fault is the safe option, safe option because that at least means that you can work on yourself and try and be better. And that is really what I've just said wrapped up in one very sort of a couple of neat sentences, that the safest option when you grow up in circumstances that are anything like mine, the easiest option is to take the blame yourself because then there is a chance that you might make it better. Whereas actually, if you lay the blame firmly at the door of those who deserve it, you're on your own. And as a child, you can't do that because you need to survive. You need your parents to look after you. And unfortunately, by the time we have gone through that as children and then leave home, we take the burden of all that with us. You know, mine mine is a, a happier ending, not that it's an end, but has a happier part to it now because I have learned all these things. Uh, and, you know, for a long time, I think I sought, having grown up in chaos, I kind of sought chaos out because that is what was familiar to me. Um, and I think a lot of people do that. If you grow up in chaotic situation, circumstances, you, it, it, it's not that you really want the chaos, but it, it's kind of what your brain knows, what your mind knows and understands. So somehow, unwittingly, a lot of the time, you will seek out that chaos because when you're in the middle of chaos or, you know, a drama or a situation where you are needed to sort it out, that is very familiar ground. And you know where you are and you know what your role is. But to stand outside that drama and go, this is not mine to fix, is so unfamiliar and so uncomfortable that it, 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 it takes so much, too much sometimes, to, to, to do that and not get sucked back in. Um, and I didn't have to actually try that hard not to get sucked in. I just took myself out of the situation altogether. And that was definitely survival kicking in when I did that. Because as a late 20s, early 30s adult, I just couldn't cope with it anymore. Um, yeah. Makes me quite sad, really, thinking about it. But you know, I'm I'm hoping by sharing this that there will be somebody out there getting something from this. Um, and if anything, if nothing else, they will be understanding it's not them, it's not just them, they're not alone. So um, I think it was earlier this year or late last year, I discovered the charity NACOA. Uh, N-A-C-O-A, which is a National Association for Children of Alcoholics. And they do fabulous work. They've got helpline for children. 
um, and adult children of alcoholics. Um, you, you know, even if you're an adult, you can still ring and talk to somebody and take advantage of their resources and look on their website. Uh, and that's so that coupled with the book on codependency was when I really learned that being a COA is a thing. Uh, and it has really helped me to know that and to understand why I do some of the things I do or did some of the things I did um, and to understand how I have got to where I am. And, you know, if some if somebody asked me whether I would change any of it, now I am where I am, I wouldn't change any of it because it has allowed me to be, well, it's why I am who I am now. But if you'd asked me, would I have changed anything, say, five years ago before I learned about this, or even three years ago when I was in the thick of my therapy, I might well have wanted to change some of it because I'm not sure I believed I could come out the other end of it like I have done. And, you know, I am still learning every day. And it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a uh, journey, a little air quotes, that I'll be on forever probably. Uh, and but I wouldn't change it now because my eyes and my heart are wide open and I'm learning all the time. And now I am able to talk about these things more. I make such amazing connections with people who resonate with my story or for, for some reason, or we just have a connection at, for different reasons and I'm just meeting such amazing and fabulous people um and the best thing is that I know it wasn't just me it's not what happened to me was was rubbish was crap was shit it really was but it's not because I'm broken or weak or unlovable or any of those things it just happened and um i have come through that and i am now really doing okay so um yeah sorry that's got a bit heavy and deep hasn't it but um it is something i really wanted to talk about and if anything i have said has resonated or you want to get in touch with me please do please do um i um love to hear from people um so yeah please get in touch and you know just know that if any of this has resonated it's not just you and you are definitely not alone okay that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening um lots of love and i'll be back with another uh, episode soon okay take care bye now thank you for listening to the meeting of minds podcast you can find this podcast in all the usual places please tell your friends please subscribe 
And if you have a moment, I'd be really grateful if you could rate and review as it helps other people find us and helps me spread the messages of empowerment and positivity that I'm really passionate about. If you want to find out more about me, you can visit my website at www.safeandsupported.co.uk. Until next time, bye.